looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Jay, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode one. 122 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to be back for another amazing episode. This week, we're bringing the laughs with comedian Paul Mercurio. You loved him on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, amazing podcaster, host of Inside Out with Paul Mercurio. Maybe you caught his one-man show off-Broadway, Permission to Speak with Paul Mercurio, or maybe his Comedy Central special, or the CBS Late Late Show, or the Tonight Show. There's a million places you probably have seen and loved and adored Paul Mercurio. And now we can add to the list this podcast, live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show, to his extensive credit list. Excited to share my conversation with Paul with you. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. I do hope you're doing well. I'm still recovering from my nerdgasm of having Will Wheaton on the show last week. It was so much fun talking to Will Wheaton about Star Trek The Next Generation, The Big Bang Theory, and all the amazing things that he's done. He shared so many great stories. Oh my goodness. I think the episode's an hour. It could have gone a million hours long. He has that many amazing stories to tell. I hear, even if you have listened to it once, that it's therapeutic to listen to it five or six more times. <laughs> it's, it's not documented. Anyway, I appreciate everyone that reached out. I got really excited when Will put my Instagram stories into his stories a couple of times. It is always a thrill, even for me, to be shared and liked by my guests on social media. So much fun. Oh, a news alert. Oh, what's this say? It says, my friends Jeff Zonder and Howard Rosner have challenged me to an Axis and Allies rematch after I besearched their good names in my Will Wheaton episode where I disclosed a 90-minute victory in Axis and Allies over both of them. Well, well, I'll have to take this into consideration and keep all of you updated. If all of our wives even let us attempt a 10-hour rematch of Axis and Allies. Until then. Never let it be said, I do not use sound effects. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but check out jeffisfunny.com. That's home of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin show on the web. You can buy me a coffee, sign up for my mailing list. Also on YouTube are all the back episodes of Crossing the Streams, our weekly live show that we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, where we discuss the TV shows you should be binging. Also, if you keep your ears peeled right here to this podcast feed, I throw in bonus episodes that have highlights from the live show. So if you can't catch us live, it will be delivered to your ears at some point. I'm excited to share my conversation with Paul Mercurio with you. We worked together in 2012 at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. He was amazing. We talk a little bit about that. Paul shares his amazing journey from corporate life to following his calling as a comedian. All that's coming up in just a few minutes. But before that, I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor, Downtown Beirut 2, bringing you the best in slashings, muggings, and stand-up comedy. There's no better place than Downtown Beirut 2 to see all the famous people way before they're famous. Because let's face it, once they're famous, they won't come to Downtown Beirut 2. So get the laughs while they're cheap and be able to say you saw them when. Come on down to Downtown Beirut 2 today. All right. What well, sounds like a very inexpensive way to see stand-up comedy. Check that out in your area. In the meantime, I'm excited to share with you my conversation I had with Paul Mercurio. Enjoy. 
All right, everybody. I'm excited to introduce my next guest to the show. Comedian, podcaster. You loved him on The Daily Show, regular on Stephen Colbert, an off-Broadway sensation with permission to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Mercurio. How are you, Paul? Good, man. How are you? Good to be with you. It's been a while since we uh, we worked together at the Comedy Castle in Detroit. It's been a while. It's 2012. We graced yeah. the stage together. I was always amazed by how you started off your act. At the time, at least, you went into the audience. It was almost like all kind of improvised right in the very beginning, yeah. very engaging. It was. I always thought that yeah. was just so brave and amazing. More stupid, one of the two. Uh, but I. But yeah, I like. I like sort of talking to them. I think people have really interesting stories, and that's actually was the is the basis for my one man show, which is uh, just getting people to. You know, it's not making fun of them or like a Rickles kind of thing. It's just more like talking to them and then them revealing like these crazy facts about their lives, and you realize just either how your life is just as crazy as somebody else's or not as crazy or whatever. It's just like, so it's hard not for me not to walk in a room and do that. You know what I mean? Like it just feels natural to me to do it that way. Sometimes I don't, I just jump into my act, but I eventually do find myself talking to them at least a little bit, you know? Yeah. I was, I was inspired by it. I thought it was the great, cause I'd never seen someone do it to that extent before you walked into the audience. I mean, you literally, you became part of. Yeah. I like that room and I like going in and playing and, you know, you get stories like I mean, my my one man show, I, which is I bring people on stage and they just tell stories from their act. And the premise is the show is, you know, if we talk, we connect. And if we connect, you know, maybe we're it's not a heavy theme thing where like I'm hitting you over the head with anything like touchy feely. But like, you know, if we talk, we connect and then maybe we realize where we have more in common than we think. And so it's really like the comedy finds itself in the conversation. So I'm not driving the funny, like I'm trying to make fun of somebody's glasses or whatever, but the stuff they reveal, like I had this guy on stage, he must be in his twenties with his mom and his dad. And he's gay. He said he was gay. And I said, well, do you remember when you came out of the closet to your parents? And he started laughing and his mother started laughing. He goes, Oh, I remember. Yeah. He was, uh, uh, I think he was like 19 or something. And she said, uh, he said to his mother, I just want you to know I'm gay. And she said, I have work in the morning. It's 1030 at night. Why are you telling me this now? That was her response. Like, (laughs) and if we scripted that, it would seem, okay, plausible in a script. But if you, it just is so not believable, but it happens in real life, you know? And so, and then we had to have this other couple in their seventies and they met through an S&M website and they are into dominance and they're like, they look like your grandmother and your grandfather, like, and they're legit, like, and it just, and people's jaws are on the floor, like, oh my God. Again, it's like, if you wrote it in a script, we'd go like, ah, I don't know if people would believe that two 75 year old people are in the S&M. It's like, nope, they're right there in front of me. They are. That's awesome. I yeah. totally understand the mom's reaction. I'll talk to my wife and I, it's the reaction is, why did you think I would be able to process and react to this appropriately at this exact moment? <laughs> My, my wife would like sort of give me a lot of precursor rambling. Like she had to look up the price of a flight for me that I had to go somewhere. So what I did was Delta, they have miles, but then they don't do miles. And I'm just like, can we just get to the punchline? How much is it? How much is it? And it's sort of so much information I'm trying to process where all I need is like one number from her, you know? But yeah, so anyway, it, it, the show has been really fun. The one man show kind of been able to do that and frame it. And I got this Frank Gaz helped develop the show with me and the set director, a designer for the late show with Stephen Colbert and the daily show and the Colbert report, Jim Van Hagen is his name. He's 27 Emmy awards. He designed the set and we take pictures of people in the lobby who are going to be in the audience. And through te- this technology we developed, we digitally map their faces on the, on the set. And so they can see themselves on the set during the show. Cause it's really the shows about the audience. So, so it's been really cool. Keep doing it. And, keep getting these amazing stories. It's crazy. That's awesome. So you, you started that in 2018, just before, and kind of probably slammed yeah. into the pandemic with it. Yeah. And then I kind of had to stop and, and we're going to take it on the road too. But yeah, you know, there's just this, there's this other guy, he's like 25. He goes, yeah, I broke up with my girlfriend. He goes, why? Cause I taught her how to shoplift and she wouldn't listen to me. And I got fed up. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I taught her how to shoplift and she wanted to go shoplift at CVS. And I'm like, you don't want to shoplift at CVS. It's not worth it. And I go, wait, wait, back up. 
I've been doing illegal stuff. I've been stealing bikes since I was 12. And, you know, I just, that's how I, he says, I stopped now. I clean up, but I, I can steal anything. And he got mad at his girlfriend because he taught her how to shoplift, but she wouldn't listen to him. He, and she went to CVS and he goes, don't go to CVS. You're going to get, and the crowd is like, and the thing that was crazy was he was not self-aware. He wasn't putting on an act and he didn't realize just how effed up this was, like how he, he was legitimately, he thought he had a, him teaching her to shoplift was normal. And then his reaction to her getting mad at her that she got arrested at CVS, not because she got arrested, but she got caught. She, he was mad that he got caught. He wouldn't listen to him. He all thought that that was normal. And that was the beauty of it, right? Like he was in his own world. Like everybody else in the room was like, this is really screwed up. And this guy, so he goes, yeah, I, mean, I told him not to go to CVS. Cause we're going to do still like lipstick and like, like some pens. It's not worth it. You got to go to a place where you can steal like jewelry. Sure enough, she goes CBS, she gets arrested. She's in the cop car. She goes, I'm not bailing out. And I just walked away from her. Like, like it, your head's like, what just happened? Like, so anyway, it's been really fun to get these crazy stories from very normal people. That is really funny, but I can see his point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, you, if you're not going to listen to me, go to jail and maybe you'll learn a lesson that way. Okay. Because this isn't working. I can't, it's like, I'm talking to myself. This, I'm trying to teach you how to steal for God's sake. Right. You're ridiculous. not going to, you don't want to go down for stealing like extra strength Tylenol. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, we're putting it on the road too. So we're putting dates together to do that. And I, cause I really want to go to other parts of the country with it, you know, cause I have that experience through standup. So I know the stories are out there, you know, and I was getting people from all over the U S and all over the world because, you know, they come to New York, they go to Broadway, you know, and everybody like some old couple, older couple living on a boat and just create great stories from them. So we, you know, we're going to take it around and I just we feel like we hit on something that nobody else is really doing. You know, I mean, it's not like traditional crowd work. It's framed with a point of view and theme. And there's, you know, there's some technical aspects to it to kind of really give it some little bit of a life on stage. You know, it's not just a guy going, what do you do? Where are you from? You know, kind of thing. Nice hat, buddy. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, it sounds great. There's got to be some niceness to the Having it just in New York, though, not like it, it almost like a Vegas residency, but in New York on, on off Broadway, yeah. the family probably yeah, likes that. It's nice, and, you know. I run from the Late Show and then do that, and and I think people when they're visiting another city, they're a little bit more loose, like they're not they're not working, you know what I mean? Like they're on vacation. So I think you got to get a little bit more stuff out of people when they're kind of in this relaxed state of mind, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. Because they're on vacation, there's like there's no way the other hundred people in this room know who I am. Yeah, exactly. I can, I can go into my cloak and dagger routine because I'm not in my own city where my entire subdivision's going to know about it by Tuesday. And I'm not thinking about, you know, this report that I'm that I have due tomorrow that I have to get home and do as soon as I'm done at the theater, you know. I think there's a benefit to that too, you know, just having somebody in another city in in like New York it energizes people and stuff, you know. That another guy that his wife was cheating on him with a minister in Czechoslovakia. The reason he figured it out was his, his mother died. She was Czechoslovakia. They went there for the funeral. His wife, this priest started hitting on his wife. And then he realized that the priest was sleeping with it because the guy was a fat, you know, troll, which is the way he described him. And his wife stayed there for a while and would go hike. And this guy was hiking with her and losing weight. So he realized that he was sleeping with this woman because this woman was helping him lose weight. And it, and it, yet they're still living together here in Brooklyn. It's just, the stories just get so thick and rich and like they go all over the place. It's really great. Anyway. No, that's, that's awesome. That must be such a kick. What story did you hear? And it just kind of stopped you. Like, you're like, I don't even, I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> It was actually that one because there was a whole other level to it because he's his wife and he are still living in Brooklyn in the same house, but they're getting divorced. But she's still flying to Czechoslovakia to have this relationship with this minister priest. And then the guy knows it and the guy's letting it happen. And, and it's just like and everybody and people literally were yelling from the audience. Why don't you just leave her? Like they started to give him like marital advice. And I had another woman. She goes, yeah, I'm kind of off heroin. I go, what? You go, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of off of it. She had a friend. They were close. Both of them were heroin addicts. And one is off, but the other one is kind of off. She goes, yeah, I go off and I go on. But it's 
the kind of thing you say, like when, yeah, I'm eating bread, but then I'm not eating bread. Like I, I eat bread and then sometimes I lay off bread. This is like, she was talking about heroin. Like it was like, it was, eh, you know, Kool-Aid, you know, sometimes I drink Kool-Aid. Sometimes I don't, it's freaking heroin. Like it's, it's like, you know, that one stopped me in my tracks because it was sort of like, am I happy for you? Or is it sad or pathetic that you're not off of it? Or you're kind of like, it's like, I'm sort of not murdering anymore. I murder a little bit, but not as much as I used to. Like, that's kind of how I didn't know how to react to it. It's amazing yeah. how many versions of normal exist in the world. Like everyone has their own, like, however they are, they think that's normal. I did um, jury duty once. And mm. it's amazing when you do jury duty, because you're sitting there and you all watch the same exact thing. And then you go into the jury room and you start to talk about it. Differences, I guess it's not as surprising, you know, the way the country is now, but like, you know, the way everyone can see the same thing and then have completely different versions and takes on it. I was like, right. I can't believe this. How is that even possible? But then everyone yeah. had like this different point of view. And I was like, oh, I grew up really sheltered. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 12 angry men, but like, you're right. I mean, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. People do look at their version of normal, like, like this woman with like, I'm kind of off hammering, that was normal to her. And then I know there were people in the audience like never even did a drug, let alone heroin. And so they couldn't get their head around it. But the thing that I like about it is that it's afterwards people would come and talk to each other in the audience and go, oh, I thought that was really interesting. Oh, I never did that. Or I always wanted to, you know, sail around the world in a boat. Like it, there, it was sort of, it does bring people sort of together to do their thing, you know, to kind of have this engagement that they wouldn't have otherwise. What sounds amazing, it sounds like, and it sounds like what's so cool about it versus like doing a stand up act or a play or anything like that. It's different every time. Yeah, it really is. That's what I really love about it. And I just love how honest the people are. As long as they know you're not going to compromise them and be mean, they'll give you everything, they'll give you the world, you know? That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Now I want to see the show. So, all right. All right. <laughs> I won't charge you for the ticket. You come in free. You're my friend. <laughs> thank you paul thank you that is so lovely awesome i got like 10 friends i didn't mention that are coming too um <laughs> i love when someone does it someone's like i'm a we're eating and someone's like i got it i got it i go oh then hang on a second waiter <laughs> exactly bring me that cheesecake bring me three pieces i'm gonna be hungry later i think a lot of people probably know you from various things, but specifically probably the daily show. But I kind of want to, you have a very unique kind of story that kind of leads up from uh, what you, I know you call kind of an original double life that kind of then broke off into yeah. comedy full time, but you were an investment lawyer on Wall Street. I was a lawyer. I did the investment M&A transactions, mergers and acquisitions at a big corporate law firm, went to Georgetown Law School and ended up in New York. And then I was doing uh, M&A merger and acquisition deals as an investment banker, which is similar to what you do as a lawyer. It's just a different focus. It's like the investment banker does the business analysis of the companies and then sets a price and negotiates the terms. And then the lawyers negotiate the documentation or lawyers, paperwork and stuff, legal paperwork and stuff. So, and then I was writing jokes as a hobby for some reason. And I made some short films and one of them got into the Aspen comedy festival. And I, lied at work and said my mother was sick and I was sitting there in a theater watching my short film in a big comedy festival in Aspen. And they took us to lunch at some big week's house and they put us in a van and drove us into the woods. And then in the woods, we changed out of the van into like a horse drawn sleigh. And I thought, well, I'm going to get raped in the woods. I don't know what this is, but this is not like this. this is like jaded New Yorker. Like, and then we get to this clearing and there's this massive house and um, I go in to the lobby and there's a brook inside the foyer of the house an actual not a man-made brook like the guy's so rich he just built his house over a, a natural brook and there are pictures of this guy and like every major star you could think of paul newman and tom cruise and meryl streep and it turned out to be uh peter goover one of the big hollywood action movie producers and there's a luncheon that the young short filmmakers were invited to at the luncheon was Spike Lee, the Hudlin brothers, and Albert Brooks and Woody Allen. And I'm sitting there having lunch with these guys. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be back doing an M&A deal in New York. And they think my mother's sick. And like, so I started to really get into this world. And then I started writing jokes. And I had these all these jokes amassed. And Jay Leno was the private entertainment at this function my firm was invited to. So I just thought, well, I got to, I was working all nighters, like was 
24 seven. And I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to just go and give myself a break for an hour. And I watched him. And then I went up to him afterwards and said, I got these jokes and I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But if you, I don't know if you need jokes, you can have them. And he's like, okay, which was really blew my mind. Cause like, he really did talk like, like, like somebody was letting helium out of a balloon. Like, that is a great Jay Leno. And he goes, it's basically like a baby crying and also shitting at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> and then he calls me back and he goes, wait, wait, you might want to put your name and your phone number on here. So I know how to reach. I was like, I'm so nervous. Like I've even, and then he called me a couple of days later. He goes, I read your jokes and I'll, how are you just sending jokes for the Tonight Show monologue? And then he goes, by the way, what do you do? I go, I'm a lawyer. He goes, I knew it. I go, why? He goes, you write like a lawyer. You're too wordy. He goes, get to the punchline. He goes, you get four sentences to get to the punchline. And you don't need to tell me when to make a funny face. I've been doing this a while. I know what I'm doing. And then a few days later, he called me. And first time he called me, my phone rang. He's like, it's Jay Leno, his father. And I thought it was my friend, David, like pulling a prank and doing a Jay Leno impression because I thought there was no way Jay Leno would be calling me. And I'm like, yeah, really funny, David. And, I, and he goes, not really, it's Jay Leno. I go, yeah, right. And then I actually said to Jay Leno, do, you do a lousy Jay Leno. <laughs> I think I do a pretty good me. That's when he said, well, hi, I'll hire you. And then he called me a few days later and he said, I'm going to do one of your jokes on the Tonight Show. And blew my head off my shoulders. And then I, that's when I started to live, live this like secret double life. And I was leaving Wall Street that I was working during the day and into the night. And I was leaving my Wall Street job at night, turn around to work dive bars in New York City. And do open mic nights, which you've done, and any comic we know is done. And you, they're usually hell holes and dive bars and drunks. And one of the places I worked was actually called Downtown Beirut Two, and it had the number two. So I'm like, either they were franchising these shitholes, or you know, somebody blew up the first one. I don't know. And uh, they were poets and folk singers and comics. And Hooker worked out of there. John worked out of there. Uh, uh, Pimp worked out of there sold drugs on and uh, out of the play and it was uh, and so just imagine like a guy wall street suit nice what whatever and i stroll into that place and i must have really wanted it because boy i i put up with some crazy crazy shit like i i remember one night i was waiting to go on stage and there was a folk singer before me and blowing in the wind like badly like yeah really like just bad and all of a sudden there's this fight at the pool table and one guy runs out of the bar and another guy grabs the side of his neck and he starts screaming, he cut me, that motherfucker, he cut me. And it was a drug deal and they had a disagreement to say the least. And the guy cut him across the side of the neck with a box cutter. He runs out of the bar and this guy's bleeding like a lot from the side of his neck. He cut me, man. And the girlfriend's crying like, oh my God. Look at my boyfriend. He caught me. The answer, my friend, the guy just keeps playing. Like he's not getting off, right? Like he doesn't even stop for any of this. And then I think the show's over and I start to leave. And then I hear the MC go up and go, all right, how about a hand for John, whatever. You guys ready for some comedy now? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I was next. And I was doing it. You know, like you don't realize when you first start out, right? You know, like you don't have to go on if you don't want to go on. You just say, I'm not going to go on. And I go on. Because I didn't know better. And I said, nice to be here at downtown Beirut, too. I always wanted to follow a slashing, which I thought was a pretty good line. Thank you for laughing. But apparently the guy who got slashed didn't think it was a good line because he heard me. And he had all these bloody napkins. At this point, he was drunk and wandering around, like, screaming, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And he heard me go, you make it fun of me. And he throws all these bloody napkins at me. And they hit me in my shirt. And they stick to my shirt, like, right in the rib cage. And they make this big blood stain on my white Brooks Brothers shirt. Now I'm like, fuck this guy. I'm staying up here. I don't care if he, I'm going to stay up here long enough so he, he bleeds to death, right? And he turns back to me about two minutes later. And he goes, hey, what are you doing anyway? I go, trying to tell jokes. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I like jokes. You know, nobody's listening to you. Hold on a second. He turns back to the bar. He goes, hey, everybody, shut the hell up. This guy's trying to tell jokes. And the whole place shut up. I had like the best two minutes of my life. <laughs> I go back to the firm. I had work to do that night and I'm all dressed and I'm, and now I'm like a 12 year old trying to hide this blood stain. So I got this big file folder that I have in front of this blood stain and I'm wandering around the law firm and I walk into the conference room and, uh, everybody's in the conference room and the senior lawyer from my firm's there and he's never there late. And he was really pissed because he couldn't find me for like three hours because I was at Dalton Bay Road 2 and he goes, where have you been? What have you been doing? And he goes, why do you have a blood stain on your shirt? I thought, okay, well, I'm dead because I was keeping this a secret from everybody at work. And he's like, and I'm like, I'm dead. This is, I'm dead. And to myself, and then all of a sudden I, I don't have an answer. And a guy 
Another boy goes, what kind of shirt is that? I go, it's a Brooks Brothers shirt. Why? He goes, oh, no, I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and then another guy goes, no, no, Armani. When I get blood on my shirt and I'm thinking, like, are you guys remaking American Psycho in your spare time? Why do you know so much about blood on work shirts? And I got bailed out, you know, by that moment. And then that's when I realized, like, I either got to shit or get off the pot and do this full time. And so I unraveled my life and I sold my apartment in New York and I moved to a rooming house where I was living with the, so, several different people in this old rooming house, including a 300-pound phone sex operator who sold the Herbalife diet products door to door. That was one of my neighbors. And I started living the life. And then, yeah. And I, uh, and I married her. No. And, <laughs> and so then I got really disenchanted, though, like six months in. I'm like, this sucks. What have I done? And I went, I got tempted to go back to Wall Street. And I did. I went and did an interview. And I said, okay, I'm going to go back, swearing off comedy. And I moved back into the city, recreated my life, nice apartment, nice suits. I moved my girlfriend back in with me, swore off comedy. And then six months later, I was back in the clubs doing comedy, like an alcoholic looking for a drink. And that's when I realized, like, I really didn't don't have a choice in this. Like, it kind of picked me, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back was during that second stint on Wall Street. I was doing a deal and we were working in Arizona in this uh senior older guy from the company the client comes out did i see you on tv last night and i had shot like a tv set but they didn't tell me when it was going to air and i forgot about it i go no he goes oh yeah i saw you you're like telling jokes and stuff you're being funny i'm like i don't know i go yeah yeah and i'm like oh god and then it hit me i'm like yeah and i thought i'm gonna be in trouble and he goes it was great he goes hey everybody my investment banker's a comedian what do you think of that hey why don't we all go out down to downtown phoenix we'll go to a comedy club tonight and paul can perform for us i'm like no 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 i'm good that's okay right and it turned out that the guy liked it and I became like his favorite person on the deal because it, the fact that I did comedy like humanized me to him. I wasn't just this like money growing Wall Street guy and not that all people on Wall Street are, but that's like the perception, right, of some people. So that's it was weird. Like it was like I needed his permission that it was OK to do it. And then I felt more free to go and do it full time. That's awesome. It's 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 interesting how the universe kind of sends you things when you need yeah. them. You know, the randomness of him of you not even knowing when that's going to be on TV, the randomness of him right. watching it when you're there. Right. It's just, it's, that's a crazy series of events. Yeah. So it's really, really cool. It's a good way of putting it. I never thought about that, but it is a, a, there is a randomness to it in the universe kind of like coming together. And I was fighting it and it was, I just, it was, I was kind of obsessed with doing it, but I think I had convinced myself at one point, this is just a hobby. I won't do it, but it was really, it really took hold of me. So I wasn't, I wasn't being realistic with myself about it, you know, that how deep in I was with it. It's a drug. Once you start doing it, there's nothing yeah. better than it. I'm sure the money was as an as a uh, a banker on Wall Street doing M and A deals was insane. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, but you always have to kind of follow your love and passion. You got to be happy, yeah, with what you're doing every day. I didn't want to look back and say I should have, and uh, I just also want to figure out a way to piss off my mother. And I think that was really a perfect way of doing it. Like, you know, I'm leaving Wall Street to be a comedian. What? Uh, no. Uh, but yeah, it, and you know, then you've got all these hell gigs that you've had, you know, you go work with jerks and obnoxious people and all that other stuff. But, but the core of it was that bull. I was really torn. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I go? Because it was a, a really scary decision, you know? It had to have been horribly scary because at this point you've got you're married, right? Hmm. Do you have a kid yet or not yet? Yeah, yeah, but on the way, you know. So yeah, and there's certain expectations, you know, from that other person in your life, and and then just re- reworking everything. It's, it's it's a lot. You know, it was a lot. Thank God for Jay Leno and that and that guy who saw you on TV. Yeah, exactly. Right. For not getting fucked. I ended up leaving that job. I didn't get along with that my boss on my second stint on Wall Street. He was he was kind of obnoxious, so I was kind of happy to be out of there. He didn't get it at all, and uh, but I would get good material from being on Wall Street, so that was good. But like, yeah, the whole thing was just so. And the phone sex operator and. She would want me to come and listen to her calls with her in the room. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And, and then, you know, I I could picture what she really looked like. And it would, I'd throw up in my mouth and, you know, like all that. So it was just like, I was in this bizarro world for a while. It is. And and for those listening who've never done comedy, can't understate when Paul says shit gigs, he means the worst of the worst. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Nobody's paying attention. But you get that one laugh and that sustains you, you know. And I was doing a gig and then the partner's wife came in from the firm and I didn't want her. She knew me and I, I 
duck behind the bar and I said to the MC, introduce me as Paul Windmill. He goes, what? I go, Paul Windmill. Windmill was the street I grew up on. <laughs> so that's funny. like a porn name. And then I pop up and I spent the whole set, like basically with my back to the audience, like, all, like looking to the side and the back. So she wouldn't see my face. And somebody was like, turn around. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Like it was like, I was getting heckled to turn around on stage. It was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It's so funny. It's hard doing comedy in front of people. I, I had work come to one of my shows I was doing in Ann Arbor and it was kind of split. There were some people that just thought it was the greatest thing they ever saw. And then some people I don't know that ever felt comfortable looking me in the eyes again. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> just because of the you know the material and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. We could do an entire episode just on shitty gigs. But let's talk about a good gig. So the Daily Show. Mm. Let me say something real quick. I watched your Comedy Central presents and then I watched a bunch of the second opinion clips mm. on the comedycentral.com. Mm. So you changed your name at some point from Mercurio to Mercurio. Yeah. Very observant. Yeah. A combination of being observant slash accidentally spelling it wrong on Comedy Central and getting it to come up and search once and then 15 times spelling it correct where it didn't and then realizing what I did. <laughs> uh, so, but I, what I was going to say is you should probably call Comedy Central and have them put your, the new way, you, the current spelling in the database so when people search, they can find you. Oh, they have it as M-E-R-C-U-R-A-R? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Because on The Daily Show, you are Paul Michael Mercurio. Yeah, well, I had this the, this um, Australian actor named Paul Mercurio who was in Strictly Ballroom and Exit to Eden, and he was in the Actors Union before I was. And so I had to change my name. So for a while, I was going with three names. and got it, But people were just butchering it and couldn't remember the third name. And Paul Michael, Michael Mercurio, like, really? So I shortened it back to Paul Mercurio, and I dropped the first R in my name. That way, I was differentiated from the guy technically in the union who was in before I would. There's this guy, he was a ballroom dancer and he was, you know, really tight pants. And like, he's got these, he's got, he has a dancer's body. So he's got like these, if you see his picture, we kind of look alike until you go from the neck down and the neck down, he's got like a white tank top and these really tight pants with a bulge and he's all wet, wetting himself with water. And I'm like, yeah, that's not my headshot. That's not me. So that's why the name's been spelled differently to kind of try to accommodate all that. But yeah, I guess I got to call Comedy Central, but I got to figure out who I would call. I don't even know. I may have my agent call somebody over there. Have your people call there. Yeah, exactly. Talk about like, how did you, how did you land the gig at the at the Daily Show? You were there for many years and you, were you a writer and you were a correspondent. Yeah. And um, I was doing stand up in the city and Liz Winstead uh, knew me, one of the create co-creators her and Madeline Smithberg created the show and asked me to submit some stuff and they liked it and hired me. And then we would just were doing this new show and they were just leaving us alone, letting us do all sorts of crazy stuff. And sometimes we get in trouble and get yelled at by the president of the network. Like we wrote this piece like about the Disneyfication of Times Square, whereas more of the porn shops were gone and now replaced by all these, you know, theme stores like Disney and go in and go, but is it really, is it, is it really any different or is it just a front? And then like pick up a doll and go, this is a dildo, like the mermaid doll, like all the Disney classic the dildo, dildo. And then they put the piece together and then on Friday we'd have a meeting and the, the president of the network's like, just, you know, your dad's screaming at you like he's, He's like blind with anger. He's like, you can't say dildo 12 times in a two and a half minute field piece. Like we didn't know there was a dildo rule. He goes, don't be a wise ass. Like how many times can you say dildo? He's like four. You can say dildo four. He just made up a number, right? And then he became known as the four dildo Doug after that. But he wanted us to go across the line and then pull us back. And so we were just writing what we you know, wanted to write. And they were really good about like letting us giving us a long leash to kind of just do our thing. And, and uh, that's kind of how that started. And then, you know, that, that opened up the door for me to go and do panels on like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, you know, as like a political satirist and CBS Sunday morning, I go on there as a commentator. And so, so it wasn't just good for that. It was just kind of open like opportunities for me other places because of the kind of stuff we were doing. And then when John came on board, he narrowed the focus more to like, politics and the media stuff like that it's funny watching the the second opinion pieces now because john stewart's kind of back again with his apple show yeah. problem with 
it's so young you both such such babies <laughs> so, no, uh, just in terms of like uh I know. looking so young john yeah john's uh still looks good but very uh very gray now there he's just yeah that beard doesn't help him either i'm like he should shave the beard if he doesn't want to look so like a gray beard is like you know he wears it well but like but yeah it was good it was it was great you know we got to go to travel and go to these different towns and do we would you know do midterm election shows and like universities like ohio state and george washington university and stuff like that Oh, you know, I totally left out the very important, uh, but now's a good time to mention it. Emmy and Peabody Award winner, Paul Mercurio. Boom. A big shot. Yes. There you go. I got I got the hardware, baby. I got the hardware. I just got to get the Tony and Oscar. And then I'll got have to. Yeah. And then I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> and by retire means stop begging for money in Times Square. Yeah. So it. It was really a great gig to start out doing, and I didn't really plan on doing it. And actually, it was initially was not going to do it because I just wanted to do stand up. But you know, it just opened the doors, and like we were just, you know, we got yelled at for doing inappropriate blowjob jokes on the air that got on somehow, and with graphics with like shots of stuff on people's faces, and like <laughs> like we get yelled at, and they pull the show, and and then you know other time but they really wanted us to cross the line sometimes and then pull us back because they wanted it to have an edge yeah no it's it's uh, it's so cool i mean the daily show like launched so many people i mean in addition to you uh, you know stephen colbert who i know you're good buddies with john oliver came from there lewis black steve corral yeah i mean it's just I used to write the lewis black segment myself and my writing partner uh were the ones that really pitched lewis to be a part of that show and we would write that segment with him back in black. We would have so much fun because we would just get, it was always like these sort of odd little stories that we couldn't do in the other part of the show. And it was always like a Florida man, dot, dot, dot. And then it was like some crazy, batshit crazy thing that somebody in Florida, he sees a virgin, an image of the Virgin Mary in an oil slick in his parking lot. Like, you know, just, and so we would just sit and that's when you could smoke inside. I wasn't a smoker, but Lewis Black and the producer were like chain smokers. So it would be like a room full of smoke and we would just be, 80% of what we were saying in the riff of the video we were looking, we couldn't put on the air, but the 20% we could was really pretty good. It was fun. It was really fun. This is where you became buddies with Steve Colbert? Yeah, we wrote together on that show, performed on that show, and then he went to Colbert Report, and I worked on that show for a while, and you know, the late show Stephen Colbert. And But yeah, it was just an odd collection of misfits that came together to make that show, you know? That's so cool. So I do, I do want to make sure that we cover one other big thing. I got to check out the movie Chuck that you were in. With the... Um, with uh, Leave Shriver. Yeah, the, about the real life Rocky Balboa, Chuck Wepner. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I dressed up in the 70s. I looked like a little Guido from the 70s. Yeah, the one thing I noticed, like when I, I was watching some of the previews, uh, Gaffigan and Ron Perlman, yeah. they, they did, a, that was a hell of a makeup job. I mean, they, those two were almost unrecognizable. <laughs> So cool. Let's talk about your podcast. So you have, you have an awesome, awesome, awesome podcast with uh, a uh, guest list that very, I'm very envious of. So originally it was called Two Chairs and a Mic. At what point did it become the Paul Mercurio show? She switched it over. I don't know. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. I just, I just wanted something that kind of, frankly, just branded my name more and was, you know, people, some people said people know you, so why not put your name in it? as opposed to this sort of clever title. So that was it. But, you know, it's always been one-on-one. Just I have this like kind of eclectic interest in different things. And so I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to be like a couple of comics hanging out. I didn't want it to feel like a morning radio show kind of thing either. I didn't want it to be stand-up specific because that's already a big part of what I do. So I wanted, and I wanted to be able to talk to really interesting different people that I wouldn't normally get to talk to in my everyday life or in my the other parts of my entertainment life. So entertainment is this, that's kind of was just the straightforward. Kind you don't of, get to talk to Paul McCartney in your normal daily entertainment life. He's actually in the other room right now and uh, we're having dinner in an hour, but, but that, that was that to, that one was getting him was, you know, Colbert's on it. Um, Brian Cranston, you know, I have wrestlers, I have Stone Cold Steve Austin, I have boxers, Sugar Ray Leonard authors kevin costner neil degrasse tyson bill burr yeah rob reiner Artie lang christian chenwick uh lewis black brian regan so you know for comedy fans there's literally something for everyone john meacham the historian 
I, I was working at the Colbert Report and Paul McCartney had just finished rehearsal. He was a guest that day. And I round the corner and in the hallway all alone is Paul McCartney, like with nobody, just like standing there alone, which threw me more than anything. And like my whole world just slowed down. I was like, oh my God, there's Paul McCartney. Like in one of those moments. And then I, I basically said like, should I say hi? Should I not say hi? And then I'm like, ah, you know, he's alone in the hallway. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains unattended. And I'm like a lion. I'm going to go up for attack, right? So I just went up real quick. I just said, it's honor me. I'm really excited to see your performance. And I start to walk away. He goes, no, come back. And he goes, what's your name? I go, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul, that's a good name. And I'm like, all right, I'll do the jokes, buddy. You just play a little guitar and make a billion dollars, all right? And then he goes, what do you do? I go, well, I'm stand up and I work on this show and the Daily Show, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, I love those shows. And starts talking about stand up. And he was Robert Williams and Richard Pryor. And he goes, you got a kid? Yeah, I got a kid. Yeah, it's hard when you're on the road. Right? Five or 10 minutes come by and I'm just talking to Paul McCartney like I'm talking to you, like just an average person conversation, like normal, but everyday life. And on the inside, I'm like, I'm trying on the outside. I'm like, really cool. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, t- I'm just keeping it. But on the inside, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. Like, I was like those girls at Chase Stadium. I was like screaming and throwing myself at panties at him or whatever. As I'm talking to him, I'm getting closer and closer to his face, like the close talker in Seinfeld, because he's Paul McCartney. And I couldn't believe that I was looking at him. And I was like so close to his face, like he's like bending backwards to avoid me. And I realized, OK, I got to leave this guy alone. So I leave, I go to the bathroom, I'm hyperventilating, call my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe I just talked to Paul McCartney. And then I get this thought, he should do my podcast because I like to talk to musicians. Like, that's literally how my brain works because I like to talk to musicians about how he makes music. So I go and I knock on the dressing room door and I go, I know this is crazy. Were you doing my podcast? He goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. That's awesome. And it threw me because, you know, it was like, it's akin to like, you know, like, I don't know, in your high school or college, there's a really hot girl or guy, you want to ask him out, but you think, oh, they're way hotter than I am. They'll never say yes, but I'm going to ask them anyway. At least I know that they have said yes or no. At least I asked, but you, and you don't, but I don't have a chance. Instead, they say yes, and you don't have a plan. That was me. Because he goes, yeah, sure, how are we doing? And I start, now this is like, I'm at this point, seasoned performer, nothing really throws me. This is me in a dressing room with Paul McCartney. He goes, yeah, sure. How we do it? I'm like, ah, ah. And I'm like rubbing my thigh like Rain Man, like, ah, ah. And then I blurt out, I'll come to London. And he's like, we're in a room in New York together. Why would you come to London? And I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it easy to do? And I actually said to Paul McCartney, oh, yeah, it's really easy. I don't want to be a bother. You, you, you could do it on your phone naked from your toilet. I'm like, oh, my, what am I saying? Right. So now I'm like, look, I'm going to leave you alone or I really screw this up. I'll talk to one of your assistants and we'll set it up. And then this is the kicker right here. He goes, no, you and I will do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you and I will exchange phone numbers. And when I call you, you got to be ready to do it. So now I'm handing my post-it note of my phone number to him. He's giving me his phone number. My hand's shaking. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm not going to sleep with you, old man. And then I'm like, you're Paul McCartney. I will sleep with you in a minute if you want me to. No, I take the number and I leave. And I think he just gave me a fake number, right? And blew me off. So he does the show at the late, at the, at the Colbert Report. And now I'm also working at the Daily Show at the time. So I'm running to get to that taping and my phone rings and I don't recognize the number and I let it ring the voicemail. And this is the message on my phone. On one hand, it's awesome that you missed the call because now you have that on tape. I guess you have the whole interview on tape now too. But I like that he felt like he needed to he needed to identify himself as Paul McCartney. Like that was really led necessary to say that. When I retrieved that, I was in the middle of Manhattan and I just, I put the phone down and I took my, I had a backpack with me and I just threw the backpack on the ground and started screaming, fuck, fuck, screens, call Paul McCartney. Like I looked like one of those guys that are talking to a voice in their head because I was just yelling these random words that no one could figure out what they meant. Then I calmed down and I ran to the Daily Show and we had a private they have like a private phone booth to make private calls. And I dialed them up and I got them on the phone. And That's so cool. That is so it. cool. Yeah. So it, and it was, we just talked about music. It was not one of these, like, did you hate Yoko, blah, 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 whatever. I did ask him why he would marry a woman with one leg. And then he hung up on me. No, 
No, he was really great. And we just talked about making music and what what it was like really the early life of the Beatles. But yeah, but thanks for asking that because I'm a little bit I'm a little proud of that one. You know, I'm I think I'm more proud that I had the guts to ask him than anything else, you know, and that I didn't get my head handed to me. And I think I think he said yes because I never bothered him for an autograph or a picture when I was talking to him in the hallway. I was just talking to him like a regular person and I heard he gets, you know, hit up a lot for autographs, stuff like that. So and maybe he appreciated that. Or maybe it was my handsome name. I'm sure it was a combination of both of those <laughs> uh, things. But that is yeah, that is yeah. so cool. That, but that's it, right? You just got to ask. If you didn't, you would have just, yes. if you didn't ask, you would have just assumed he would have said no. And your life would have gone on. And it just wouldn't exist now. Right. And we wouldn't be talking. Because you'd be like, why would I want to talk to this guy? He didn't interview right. Paul McCartney. Because you'd be searching for that guy who interviewed Paul McCartney. I know how you are. I know you're shallow in that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Paul Mercurio, the guy who talked to Rob Reiner, Artie Lang, Louis Black, Bob Costas, Adam McKay, Judd Apatow. No, thank you. <laughs> Good point. I should throw those names around my house so I get a little bit more respect in my house. Uh, this is fun, man. You're a good interviewer. Thanks, Paul. You do a lot of research. That is a high compliment coming from you, so I appreciate that very, very much. Yeah. Gotta, hopefully we'll see each other when I come back to uh, Royal Oak. That would be amazing. In the meantime, everyone listening, check out the Paul Mercurio Show. You can get it on uh, Apple Podcasts everywhere. It's any podcast app. It's there. Look for Paul's Permission to Speak One Man Show, either in New York or coming to your town, hopefully one day. What's your website? PaulMercurio.com. M-E-C-U-R-I-O. And I'm on Instagram, TikTok. Facebook, Twitter. I'm on every social media and I'm already on ones that don't exist. I've already put my name on a list to be on anything that does not exist yet, but will. So it's at Paul Mercurio, M-E-C-U-R-I-O, one R in my last name. I hope my name change isn't holding my career back. Do you think it is? I think only for people who are trying to search you on ComedyCentral.com. <laughs> okay, good. I feel better then. Uh, thanks, man. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a blast. All right, everyone. How awesome was Paul Mercurio? I told you. I built it up and boom, we delivered. So during the conversation, Paul and I talked about him changing the name of his podcast. Well, he's changed it since then. So if you're going to go search out that Paul McCartney episode, search for Inside Out with Paul Mercurio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Same place you find mine, you'll find Paul's. And what a nice little treat that was, huh? An extra Paul on the podcast, a Sir Paul McCartney, kind of, indirectly, via Paul. Ipso facto, Paul McCartney's been on my podcast. Maybe, not really. I, I'll have to look up the rules. If Paul comes to your town, either Paul, Paul McCartney or Paul Mercurio, for two different reasons, go see both, both amazing. All right, well, with the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time now for a trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. That's right. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup and download the free hashtag roundup app at the Google Play Store or iTunes app store. The app is free, totally free. Download it. Get notified every time a hashtag game starts. Tweet along with us. And one day, one of your tweets will show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag, of course, inspired by the conversation conversation I had with my guest, Paul Mercurio, and his amazing one-man play, Permission to Speak, where he brings people on stage and they bare their souls. Well, would you believe? At hashtag Roundup, Matt Anter and It's a Struggle, challenge Twitter, nay, the world, with hashtag my most boring confession. These are probably some confessions Paul hopes would never make the show, but yet here we are with some hashtag my most boring confession tweets. Tom confesses, I wear shoes in the house. Don't do that. That's supposed to be really bad. Craig Shoemaker, I hate people who hate people and hate that hating those people. Make me one of those people. That's Craig Shoemaker. You may recognize him from episode 14 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show, an OG interview. Check that out when you get a chance. Lynn confesses, I cannot sleep with my closet door open. Not even a crack, because you know monsters. I hear you, Lynn. I hear you. Loud and clear. Jeff knows what the hokey pokey is all about. Keep that to yourself, Jeff. 
Bakers has a problem mixing up East and West. I got to confess myself. I never knew which was which. And then I worked someplace and the address was West 12 mile. So anytime I had to figure out East and West, I just pictured where they were in relation to who I was and then could figure out whether I was East or West of where I needed to be. Jan confesses that she lathers and rinses, but does not repeat. That's pretty brave, Jan. Pretty brave. Rick confesses he's walked on grass despite what the sign told him. I'm guessing that sign said, don't walk on grass. And Rick said, not today. Not today. I'm walking on this grass. These are some hashtag my most boring confession. If you're like, I got one more boring than all these, you head to Twitter right now and you tweet your own. I'll show you some Twitter love. Just tag us at at Jeff Dewaskin Show. We're not done here. Tomas finds Swiffering to be exhilarating. He loves Swiffering. You should come to my house. My wife could use a break. Debbie confesses that she said she sent thoughts and prayers, but she actually didn't send them. Guilty. I've done that. Dan confesses he once told the tech guy he restarted his computer, but hang on to your hats, everyone. Dan did not really restart his computer. Thank you, Dan. I hope you feel better from that confession. Acidic Blonde admits she let the dogs out. We knew it. Woof, woof. I knew it was you. I knew it was you the whole time. You just sat there with it. Mm. In the runes confesses fruitcake isn't all that bad. Woof, who hurt you? Who hurt you? And finally, the other Aang confesses when eating Pringles, he often exceeds the suggested serving size. Oh, we've all been there. All right. Those were some exhilarating hashtag my most boring confession tweets. Again, go to Twitter, tweet your own tag us at Jeff Dewaskin Show. All the tweets I read will be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show. Head on over there, follow us, show those tweets some love. Well, can you believe it? The hashtag game's over. The interview's over. That can only mean one thing. Episode 122 is coming to a close. I want to thank my special guest, Paul Mercurio. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.